This is the Wealth Ability for CPAs show. Better clients, better practice, better life. Here's Tom Wheelwright. Welcome to Wealth Ability for CPA show, where we're always learning how to get better clients, develop a better practice, and have a better life. Hi, this is Tom Wheelwright, your host, founder, and CEO of WealthAbility. So you've heard me say it before that AI, artificial intelligence, and blockchain threaten to wipe out the CPA industry. It's an absolute threat to our entire industry. So today, we're very fortunate to have a guest so, who's an expert in AI, and we're going to discover actually how to turn the threat of AI into what I consider to be the greatest opportunity we've ever had from a CPA profession standpoint. So it's either going to wipe us out or it's going to actually make us have a much better, really, it will, I believe it will actually help us develop better clients and a better practice and a better life. I'll get back to this in a second. Now I have something specifically for CPAs. What if you could discover a simple way to double your profitability in the next 90 days without adding any new clients? That's right. Whether you're a CPA, tax advisor, other tax professional, accountant, bookkeeper, in my newest resource, I will walk you through a simple five-step process that's proven to help you do just that. We have members of our network that have doubled their profitability in 90 days or less, and you can do this too. Now, to get your free copy, just go to wealthability.com slash CPA profit. That's wealthability.com slash C-P-A-P-R-O-F-I-T. Get this new resource so that you can double your profitability in the next 90 days. So with that, I want to welcome to the show uh, Bill Ammerman. Um, Bill wrote the book, The Invisible Brand, Marketing in the Age of Automation, Big Data, and Machine Learning. And Bill, it is absolutely an honor and privilege to have you on the show. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. So if, if you would, Bill, just give us a little bit of your background so that we kind of know where you're coming from. Sure. Um, I bring together both an academic background in technology. Uh, I earned my uh, master's degree from the School of Media and Journalism at uh, UNC in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, as well as doing postgrad work in artificial intelligence at MIT. And uh, I have been employed for the past several decades in the digital industry. Uh, I ran digital advertising for Tribune out of Chicago, uh, as well as having senior positions at uh, companies like Hearst Television, uh, Capital Broadcasting. And today I manage a dozen consumer brands uh, in a company called Engaged Media as the executive vice president of digital. Well, that's, uh, that's pretty impressive. I'm, I, now we know we have, we truly have an expert in here. So <laughs> we hear all of this discussion about AI, artificial intelligence, and we, you know, we see the movies. I'm actually speaking at an event in Singapore where one of the speakers is a robot. And so we're all fascinated by this. And I think we're all a little threatened by it. So if you could, Bill, just describe, how would you describe what is actually AI? Yeah, a lot of people jokingly define AI as the art of making computers work like they do in the movies. Um, and that's not too far off. A, a, a real practical, uh, real world definition of AI is 
um, getting machines to solve problems that you would normally associate uh, with human beings. So, you know, the way people solve problems. And, um, and there are more complicated definitions, but that's a good starting point. So when we talk about AI, we really are talking about solving problems that human beings are normally associated with solving. And, uh, you know, the, the good news about the movie Quip is that we're not quite to the point where we can make uh, robots that can seamlessly blend into society. And, uh, but we are solving AI problems on a narrow basis. We haven't invented general AI, but we do deploy uh, narrow applications of AI already. And they're already at work at places like the IRS and uh, um, the state of New York uh, tax offices. And, and so this is a part of the daily uh, life for many of you uh, listeners, uh, that AI is already being deployed by companies like ADP. Um, and so uh, it's important to educate yourself about how that works. And uh, I'm happy to share. Okay. Well, thank you. So the, the way I look at AI, I want to know if I'm, if I've got this right. I really look at, at it just as a decision matrix. It's if this happens, if this, then that. And isn't that really all the machine is doing? It's just doing it really fast with a whole lot of data. <laughs> um, uh, MIT defines three areas of artificial intelligence. One is machine learning. Another is natural language processing, which is the ability to like Siri. Uh, interpret. Yeah, like Siri. Uh, and three is robotics. So um, in, in accounting, we're really concerned with the first two primarily. Uh, right. We're looking at machine learning and natural language processing. So natural language processing uh, for a starter, you know, could be um, image interpretation, but primarily it's, uh, you know, uh, thought of as preparing voice responses to human speech. Um, but, you know, in, in its, you know, at its core, you could look at, uh, you know, the potential responses of IRS petitioners, and you could analyze those responses to determine which cases uh, the IRS should move forward with. In fact, uh, Palantir, uh, which is uh, Peter Thiel's company, struck a $100 million deal with the IRS to do exactly that, to analyze data, to do fraud detection, and to analyze the, the uh, potential of uh, recovering uh, taxes from different uh, respondents based on their natural language. Now that takes us to machine learning, the other um, branch. And machine learning is where we, you know, feed data into a computer, and we ask a computer to sort through that data to detect patterns. Um, but more importantly, we ask the computer to learn from those patterns to start to rather than predict the future, to prescribe the future. What things can we detect from those patterns that might indicate how we can actually change outcomes? And uh, machines learn based on two strategies. One is they, they learn based on supervised learning. Um, you show it a picture of an apple and it says, you know, that's a hot dog. And you say, no, that's not a hot dog, that's an apple. And it learns. Um, so that's supervised learning where you're remediating, you're correcting the machine as it goes, and it's um, then using the remediation to uh, get better. The other type of learning is unsupervised learning. And um, you know, structurally, we're leveraging uh, technology such as neural networks to produce massive layers of 
uh, reciprocal algorithms that learn over time, and they actually are self-corrective, and we call that unsupervised learning. And machines are very capable of both supervised and unsupervised learning at a mass scale. So the more data you feed it, uh, the, the smarter it becomes. To take it out of the accounting realm for just a second, imagine you fed it um, you know, millions or even billions of images of x-rays, and you said, you know, interpret these x-rays. And over time, you uh, use supervised learning to say, you know, that's a, that's a fracture, that's a tumor, um, that's, you know, uh, that's an artifact of, of, the, uh, of the camera, and that's actually not anatomical at all. And over time, the machine learns to interpret those images. Well, we've actually reached a point in image recognition using machine learning where we're going to soon uh, you know, be able to feed uh, x-rays into a machine and have it interpret the results uh, more effectively than a human. Of course, a human uh, radiologist might see, you know, 100,000 uh, images in, uh, over the span of their career. Uh, the machine can actually ingest billions of images and have a much broader uh, view. Now, take everything I just said and metaphorically apply that to the type of structured data that exists in corporate accounting systems. You're looking at structured data that represents um, assets of a company, that re represents uh, you know, units that have been produced or, or uh, cash register data. All of that structured data can be ingested and sorted by a machine much faster than it can be sorted and ingested uh, and, and so, that insights can be gathered from it uh, from a human. So, so we could have real-time adjustments to, for example, product mix, or um, uh, it, I, I know it's being used in the marketing world a lot already. Um, you know, what does a consumer, what does the specific consumer want because of the big data that they've got on the consumers? What does the specific consumer want? And so we actually change the, the way we deliver the information, the advertising, so to speak, to that to that specific consumer, um, based on what they're going to best respond to. Does that do I have that right? Yeah, absolutely. And and I'll give you a simple example that everybody can kind of hang on to and then kind of grow from there. Is is fraud detection? You're looking at you know, let's say you're analyzing expense reports. It's very easy for a computer to see that these three people all turned in uh, a dinner receipt. Um, from the same night at the same time, and they claimed that they were at dinner with each other. Um, so that would obviously spit out a conflict. Um, you know, if you try to use a credit card at a at a gas station, and then 10 minutes later somebody uh, tries to make a charge, but they're in a you know a city you know a thousand miles away, we know that you know based on general relativity that you can't be in both places at the same time. Um, you can't be making a, a gasoline purchase in Kansas and simultaneously uh, be buying perfume in London. Um, so uh, those kinds of conflicts can be detected very easily by a machine, whereas a human being trying to detect that level of fraud uh, across thousands of receipts, uh, across trillions of transactions, potentially, um, it's daunting. It's impossible. You know, humans uh, don't check every expense report and they can't remember what time Joe said he was at dinner. Um, so there are applications for this technology that resolve a lot of kind of the, the problems that human beings have 
with managing massive amounts of data. Yeah, and I think we all appreciate that when we get that credit card fraud alert, which is, that's what you're talking about and saying, um, did you did you make this purchase? And, right. <laughs> and then you say, no. And then they say, okay, we've frozen your credit card. We'll send you a new one. You have no credit card for the next three days. So um, <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> right. I'm actually, I'm actually at the perfume counter in London now, and I will not have a credit card available to travel exactly. home. Exactly. For the next three exactly. days. Which is, which is the argument for carrying multiple credit cards. So, <laughs> um, so here's a question I, I really like to know the answer to. What is it exactly that Watson does? You know, we, we, we I mean, and, and we, I, I asked for a specific purpose because we know that H&R Block, which is not our competitor, but it's, you know, they're kind of on the forefront of the, of, of, you know, computer and machine learning when it comes to our industry. So while they're not our competitor, um, because they don't deal with the level of clients that we deal with, um, they, it's, a, it's a good indicator of what's, what's possible. And we know because they've announced that they are using Watson specifically, they partnered with IBM to help them with their, their tax return processing. So uh, if you can, how would you describe what is it that Watson does? And, and in fact, is there a, a use because Watson's available? Is there a use that, that small, even small CPAs could use Watson in what they do? Sure. Um, so just historically, uh, you know, IBM has gone through a number of iterations of their uh, branding of their artificial intelligence. You know, they uh, originally deep blue, defeated Gary Kasparov uh, in right. a, you know, in a, a six game chess match that, um, you know, everybody, you know, was blown away by. But I think a lot of people suspected that, you know, all Deep Blue was doing was, you know, calculating every conceivable move very, very quickly. Um, and uh, and it was so uh, the impression was that all artificial intelligence was is just kind of brute force. Um, and uh, and then. Uh, you know, more recently, IBM uh, invented and they, they took that one step forward and then they were able to defeat uh, Jeopardy challengers, uh, you know, with Watson. And then, uh, you know, more recently, uh, they've taken their, their intelligence systems uh, to the next level and actually defeated the world's uh, best Go players, which is a, a infinitely complex, um, you know, game. So when we think about... Uh, you know, these brands, whether it's Deep Blue or Watson, uh, we have to understand what we're talking about is, you know, these are the names that IBM gives as a brand of its artificial intelligence. But artificial intelligence um, defined at IBM probably takes on, you know, many aspects. Uh, when we think about defeating Go as a um, as a, a specific challenge. What IBM did was they actually leveraged, and by the way, I think their brand for their uh, product that uh, Go is called DeepMind, and and uh, and they they came up with this name um, AlphaGo. And when they started looking at these technologies, they started to recognize that we have to take two algorithms, we have to actually make them work together, or actually many algorithms. So before I get too deep into that, let me just explain. An algorithm is a procedure or a set of instructions. When you woke up this morning, you probably executed your own personal algorithm for turning off your alarm clock. Um, you know, the alarm goes off, you reach over, you turn it off, 
That's your algorithm for waking up. And then you probably had an algorithm for brushing your teeth and another algorithm for getting dressed and another algorithm for driving to work. Each of those can be considered a kind of a discrete algorithm. And then you can also imagine that algorithms can be nested together. So you might have a larger algorithm, which is, you know, waking up and going to work. And it has all of these little, you know, sub algorithms inside it. Well, what, what, you know, the, the algorithms that defeated um, Go were twofold. One, you had this branching tree architecture that said, you know, here's all the different um, moves that can be made. But you had another algorithm which did something really intuitive. It actually looked at the, the moves and the current landscape and it said, what area of the tree should I focus my attention on? So while one algorithm is over there, working on this big tree problem, which is just infinitely complex. The other algorithm is actually working on what branches of the tree to focus on. So that that actually narrows the scope of what the computer is um, needing to assess at any given moment. So that that is a type of uh, adversarial relationship that we see in, uh, you know, in computer architecture. And I'll give you another example real quickly, um, which will, you know, give people insights. Um, it's the generative adversarial network, which was used to create artwork that people actually purchased at, uh, at Christie's at auction. And that was, that was a generative algorithm that was designed to, de to develop billions of images that could be paintings that human beings might be interested in. And then another algorithm, which was a judging algorithm that judged which of those images looked most like something humans would purchase at auction. So you can imagine one algorithm is strictly designed to you know, create lots of versions of paintings. And the other algorithm is designed to analyze which of those looks most like something someone has created. So generative adversarial network. These two algorithms working side by side will actually tell you things about, you know, uh, which painting might work, but not only tell you things, but actually generate the image. So you can imagine you could generate text. You could write a book this way. You could produce a movie in theory. Um, many things that will come to pass in our lives will be generated by generative adversarial networks, by algorithms working side by side, and we can't always predict the results. But that exact type of, uh, you know, adversarial relationship between two algorithms working side by side helps us in, um, you know, analyzing structured data. We look at, you know, here is a series of, uh, you know, possibilities, which one of them um, looks most correct. We test it. We try uh, try it on for size, and then we learn from it. And then we reanalyze and we try to make the next prediction based on what we learned from the last prediction, and so on and so forth. So um, algorithms nested within other algorithms and working together is changing the way uh, we use computers, and that's really at the heart of what machine learning does. Okay, so let let's get to a practical basis here. We're a small CPA firm. You know, we have, you know, two partners and 10 employees. Is, is there actually a practical application that we can actually use artificial intelligence? Could we go in, for example, and use IBM's or 
I think Microsoft has uh, 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 Microsoft has one as well. Um, you know, one of these programs that would actually help us um, do our job. I would say that uh, companies like Oracle and ADP and Microsoft and IBM are all after your business, and they're all using uh, different types of artificial intelligence to solve problems. You're probably not uh, at a you know a ten person CPA firm going to go out and write your own artificial intelligence right. software. That's probably not where this is headed. Uh, you're probably going to leverage the strengths of companies that have already done that, uh, but you're going to be buying services from them that are powered by artificial intelligence. So, you know, in, for example. So, um, for example, you know, let's take the cash register itself. Um, you know, the cash register is a treasure trove of data about uh, customers, about transactions. Um, if you are in business and, you know, you are a, uh, a chief financial officer of a company, you probably have a lot of questions being asked you by, uh, you know, the marketing department, by, you know, other people in the organization who need insights from the data. And um, finance is a wonderful opportunity, has a wonderful opportunity to play a bigger, more strategic role in all aspects of the company by analyzing the data in the cash register. You guys on the finance side um, really have the keys to the kingdom. Uh, and, and I say that because uh, think about what's in there. And let, let's, let's take it down to a very small uh, local business example. Let's say somebody's running a pet store. And um, within that cash register, there are people who came in and purchased uh, dog food. There are people who came in and purchased things like, uh, you know, uh, services. They, they purchased grooming services. Uh, they purchased boarding services. Maybe they left their pet there for the weekend. Um, and you have the opportunity to be the, the point person that helps them analyze that data, to look at all of those transactions, to look at the pool of revenue that came into the organization and sort it based on the activities of those customers. So now you can define that this customer buys pet food but doesn't use our boarding service. This person uses our boarding service but doesn't buy our grooming services. That information in turn informs the marketing department's ability to create messages, to deliver advertising campaigns, to persuade those consumers if you're leaving your pet with us for boarding, you should have us groom your dog while you're away. And when you come back, Fido will be nice and fluffy. Well, those insights can be gleaned from the accounting technology being deployed by that business. And that's going to have a big impact on the future success of that company. So that's just one example where AI in the accounting arena is now bleeding over and influencing other kinds of corporate decisions and, and providing insights at a broader level. So, uh, you know, what comes to my mind is you're giving this example is Amazon, right? You buy this from Amazon, they say, well, then you might like this, or I'm a big, um, you know, at the Apple bookstore, right? I read most of my books um, on uh, from, get, get them from the Apple bookstore. And it says, well, you you might like these books. So that's that's basically what you're talking about, right? Absolutely. And in fact, Amazon uh, has done something quite extraordinary. They have tied the top of the market funnel together with the cash register. So they can do something which most businesses can't do, 
which is they can see the attribution. They can solve the attribution problem. They can say, I ran this ad and the impact was that this sale occurred. And by uh, you know, tracking that over time, they can get better and better and better at making recommendations about delivering uh, you know, information to you that will change your behavior. This is the Wealth Ability for CPAs show. Better clients, better practice, better life. Here's Tom Wheelwright. Welcome to Wealth Ability for CPA show, where we're always learning how to get better clients, develop a better practice, and have a better life. Hi, this is Tom Wheelwright, your host, founder, and CEO of WealthAbility. So you've heard me say it before that AI, artificial intelligence, and blockchain threaten to wipe out the CPA industry. It's an absolute threat to our entire industry. So today, we're very fortunate to have a guest so, who's an expert in AI, and we're going to discover actually how to turn the threat of AI into what I consider to be the greatest opportunity we've ever had from a CPA profession standpoint. So it's either going to wipe us out or it's going to actually make us have a much better, really, it will, I believe it will actually help us develop better clients and a better practice and a better life. I'll get back to this in a second. Now I have something specifically for CPAs. What if you could discover a simple way to double your profitability in the next 90 days without adding any new clients. That's right. Whether you're a CPA, tax advisor, other tax professional, accountant, bookkeeper, in my newest resource, I will walk you through a simple five-step process that's proven to help you do just that. We have members of our network that have doubled their profitability in 90 days or less, and you can do this too. Now, to get your free copy, just go to wealthability.com slash CPA profit. That's wealthability.com slash CPA P-R-O-F-I-T. Get this new resource so that you can double your profitability in the next 90 days. So with that, I want to welcome to the show uh, Bill Ammerman. Um, Bill wrote the book, The Invisible Brand, Marketing in the Age of Automation, Big Data, and Machine Learning. And Bill, it is absolutely an honor and privilege to have you on the show. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. So if, if you would, Bill, just give us a little bit of your background so that we kind of know where you're coming from. Sure. Um, I bring together both an academic background in technology. Uh, I earned my uh, master's degree from the School of Media and Journalism at uh, UNC in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, as well as doing postgrad work in artificial intelligence at MIT. And uh, I have been employed for the past several decades in the digital industry. Uh, I ran digital advertising for Tribune out of Chicago, uh, as well as having senior positions at uh, companies like Hearst Television, uh, Capital Broadcasting. And today I manage a dozen consumer brands uh, in a company called Engaged Media as the executive vice president of digital. Well, that's, uh, that's pretty impressive. I, now we know we have, we truly have an expert in here. So <laughs> we hear all of this discussion about AI, artificial intelligence, and we, you know, we see the movies. I'm actually speaking at an event in Singapore where one of the speakers is a robot. And so <laughs> we're all fascinated by this. 
And I think we're all a little threatened by it. So if you could, Bill, just how would you describe what is actually AI? Yeah, a lot of people jokingly define AI as the art of making computers work like they do in the movies. Um, And that's not too far off. A a real practical, um, real world definition of AI is um, getting machines to solve problems that you would normally associate uh, with human beings. So, you know, the way people solve problems. And, um, and there are more complicated definitions, but that's a good starting point. So when we talk about AI, we really are talking about solving problems that human beings are normally associated with solving. And, uh, you know, the, the good news about the movie Quip is that we're not quite to the point where we can make uh, robots that can seamlessly blend into society. and uh, But we are solving AI problems on a narrow basis. We haven't invented general AI, but we do deploy uh, narrow applications of AI already. And they're already at work at places like the IRS and uh, um, the state of New York uh, tax offices. And and so this is a part of the daily uh, life for many of you uh, listeners, uh, that AI is already being deployed by companies like ADP. Um, and so uh, it's important to educate yourself about how that works, and uh, I'm happy to share. Okay, well, thank you. So the, the way I look at AI, yeah, I want to know if, I'm, if I've got this right. I really look at, at it just as a decision matrix. It's if this happens, if this, then that. And isn't that really all the machine is doing? It's just doing it really fast with a whole lot of data. (laughs) Um, MIT defines three areas of artificial intelligence. One is machine learning. Another is natural language processing, which is the ability to uh, interpret. Yeah, like Siri. Uh, And three is robotics. So um, in in accounting, we're really concerned with the first two primarily. Uh, We're looking at machine learning and natural language processing. So natural language processing uh, for a starter, you know, could be um, image interpretation, but primarily it's, uh, you know, uh, thought of as preparing voice responses to human speech. Um, But, you know, in in its, you know, at its core, you could look at, uh, you know, the potential responses of IRS petitioners, and you could analyze those responses to determine which cases uh, the IRS should move forward with. In fact, uh, Palantir, uh, which is uh, Peter Thiel's company, struck a $100 million deal with the IRS to do exactly that, to analyze data, to do fraud detection, and to analyze the the, uh, potential of uh, recovering uh, taxes from different uh, respondents based on their natural language. Now that takes us to machine learning, the other um, branch. And machine learning is where we, you know, feed data into a computer, and we ask a computer to sort through that data to detect patterns. Um, but more importantly, we ask the computer to learn from those patterns to start to rather than predict the future, to prescribe the future. What things can we detect from those patterns that might indicate how we can actually change outcomes? And uh, machines learn based on two strategies. One is they they learn based on supervised learning. Um, You show it a picture of an apple and it says, you know, that's a hot dog. And you say, no, that's not a hot dog, that's an apple. 
and it learns. Um, so that's supervised learning where you're remediating, you're correcting the machine as it goes, and it's um, then using the remediation to uh, get better. The other type of learning is unsupervised learning. And um, you know, structurally, we're leveraging uh, technology such as neural networks to produce massive layers of uh, reciprocal algorithms that learn over time, and they actually are self-corrective, and we call that unsupervised learning. And machines are very capable of both supervised and unsupervised learning at a mass scale. So the more data you feed it, uh, the, the smarter it becomes. To take it out of the accounting realm for just a second, imagine you fed it um, you know, millions or even billions of images of x-rays, and you said, you know, interpret these x-rays. And over time, you uh, use supervised learning to say, you know, that's a, that's a fracture, that's a tumor, um, that's, you know, uh, that's an artifact of, of, the, uh, of the camera, and that's actually not anatomical at all. And over time, the machine learns to interpret those images. Well, we've actually reached a point in image recognition using machine learning where we're going to soon uh, you know, be able to feed uh, x-rays into a machine and have it interpret the results uh, more effectively than a human. Of course, a human uh, radiologist might see, you know, 100,000 uh, images in, uh, over the span of their career. Uh, the machine can actually ingest billions of images and have a much broader uh, view. Now, take everything I just said and metaphorically apply that to the type of structured data that exists in corporate accounting systems. You're looking at structured data that represents um, assets of a company, that re represents uh, you know, units that have been produced or, or uh, cash register data. All of that structured data can be ingested and sorted by a machine much faster that it can be sorted and ingested uh, and, and so, that insights can be gathered from it, uh, from a human. So, so we could have real-time adjustments to, for example, product mix, or um, uh, it, I know it's being used in the marketing world a lot already. Um, you know, what does a consumer, what does the specific consumer want because of the big data that they've got on the consumers? What does the specific consumer want? And so we actually change the, the way we deliver the information, the advertising, so to speak, to that to that specific consumer um, based on what they're going to best respond to. Does that do I have that right? Yeah, absolutely. And and I'll give you a simple example that everybody can kind of hang on to and then kind of grow from there. Is is fraud detection? You're looking at you know, let's say you're analyzing expense reports. It's very easy for a computer to see that these three people all turned in uh, a dinner receipt. Um, from the same night at the same time, and they claimed that they were at dinner with each other. Um, so that would obviously spit out a conflict. Um, you know, if you try to use a credit card at a at a gas station, and then 10 minutes later somebody uh, tries to make a charge, but they're in a you know a city you know a thousand miles away, we know that you know based on general relativity that you can't be in both places at the same time. Um, you can't be making a, a gasoline purchase in Kansas and simultaneously uh, be buying perfume in London. Um, so uh, those kinds of conflicts can be detected very easily by a machine, whereas a human being trying to detect that level of fraud uh, across 
thousands of receipts uh, across trillions of transactions potentially um it's daunting it's impossible you know humans uh, don't check every expense report and they can't remember what time joe said he was at dinner um, so there are applications for this technology that resolve a lot of kind of the the problems that human beings have with managing massive amounts of data yeah and i think we all appreciate that when we get that credit card fraud alert which is that's what you're talking about and saying um, did you, did you make this purchase? And, right. and then you say, no. And then they say, okay, we've frozen your credit card. We'll send you a new one. You have no credit card for the next three days. So um, <laughs> congratulations. Uh, <laughs> right. I'm actually, I'm actually at the perfume counter in London now, and I will not have a credit card available to travel exactly. home. Exactly. For the next three exactly. days. Which is, which is the argument for carrying multiple credit cards. So, um, so here's a question I, I'd really like to know the answer to. What is it exactly that Watson does? You know, we, 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 I mean, and, and we, I, I asked for a specific purpose because we know that H&R Block, which is not our competitor, but it's, you know, they're kind of on the forefront of, the, of, of you know, computer and machine learning when it comes to our industry. So while they're not our competitor, um, because they don't deal with the level of clients that we deal with, um, they, it's, a, it's a good indicator of what's, what's possible. And we know, because they've announced, that they are using Watson, specifically, they partnered with IBM to help them with their, their tax return processing. So uh, if you can, how would you describe what is it that Watson does? And, and in fact, is there a, a use, because Watson's available, is there a use that that small, even small CPAs could use Watson in what they do. Sure. Um, so just historically, uh, you know, IBM has gone through a number of iterations of their uh, branding of their artificial intelligence. You know, they uh, originally Deep Blue defeated Gary Kasparov uh, in right. a, you know, in a, a six game chess match that, um, you know, everybody, you know, was blown away by. But I think a lot of people suspected that, you know, all Deep Blue was doing was, you know, calculating every conceivable move very, very quickly. Um, and uh, and it was so uh, the impression was that all artificial intelligence was is just kind of brute force. Um, and uh, and then, uh, you know, more recently, IBM uh, invented and they, they took that one step forward and then they were able to defeat uh, Jeopardy challengers, uh, you know, with Watson. And then, uh, you know. More recently, uh, they've taken their their intelligence systems uh, to the next level and actually defeated the world's uh, best Go players, which is a, a infinitely complex um, you know game. So when we think about uh, you know these brands, whether it's Deep Blue or Watson, uh, we have to understand what we're talking about is you know these are the names that IBM gives as a brand of its artificial intelligence but artificial intelligence um, defined at IBM probably takes on you know many aspects uh, when we think about defeating go as a um, as a, a specific challenge what IBM did was they actually leveraged and by the way I think their brand for their uh, product that uh, goes called deep mind and and uh, and they they came up with this name 
um, AlphaGo. And when they started looking at these technologies, they started to recognize that we have to take two algorithms. We have to actually make them work together or actually many algorithms. So before I get too deep into that, let me just explain. An algorithm is a procedure or a set of instructions. When you woke up this morning, you probably executed your own personal algorithm for turning off your alarm clock. Um, you know, the alarm goes off, you reach over, you turn it off. That's your algorithm for waking up. And then you probably had an algorithm for brushing your teeth and another algorithm for getting dressed and another algorithm for driving to work. Each of those can be considered a kind of a discrete algorithm. And then you can also imagine that algorithms can be nested together. So you might have a larger algorithm, which is, you know, waking up and going to work. And it has all of these little, you know, sub algorithms inside it. Well, what what you know the the algorithms that defeated um, go were twofold. One, you had this branching tree architecture that said, you know, here's all the different um, moves that can be made. But you had another algorithm which did something really intuitive. It actually looked at the the moves and the current landscape, and it said, what area of the tree should I focus my attention on? So while one algorithm is over there working on this big tree problem, which is just infinitely complex. The other algorithm is actually working on what branches of the tree to focus on. So that that actually narrows the scope of what the computer is um, needing to assess at any given moment. So that that is a type of uh, adversarial relationship that we see in, uh, you know, in computer architecture. And I'll give you another example real quickly, um, which will, you know, give people insights. Um, it's the generative adversarial network, which was used to create artwork that people actually purchased at, uh, at Christie's at auction. And that was, that was a generative algorithm that was designed to, des to develop billions of images that could be paintings that human beings might be interested in. And then another algorithm, which was a judging algorithm that judged which of those images looked most like something humans would purchase at auction. So you can imagine one algorithm is strictly designed to you know, create lots of versions of paintings. And the other algorithm is designed to analyze which of those looks most like something someone has created. So generative adversarial network. These two algorithms working side by side will actually tell you things about, you know, uh, which painting might work, but not only tell you things, but actually generate the image. So you can imagine you could generate text. You could write a book this way. You could produce a movie in theory. Um, many things that will come to pass in our lives will be generated by generative adversarial networks, by algorithms working side by side, and we can't always predict the results. But that exact type of uh, you know, adversarial relationship between two algorithms working side by side helps us in um, you know, analyzing structured data. We look at, you know, here is a series of uh, you know, possibilities, which one of them um, looks most correct. We test it. We try uh, try it on for size, and then we learn from it. And then we reanalyze and we try to make the next prediction based on what we learned from the last prediction, and so on and so forth. So um, algorithms nested within other algorithms and working together is changing the way 
uh, we use computers. And that's really at the heart of what machine learning does. Okay, so let, let's get to a practical basis here. We're a small CPA firm. You know, we have, you know, two partners and 10 employees. Is, is there actually a practical application that we can actually use artificial intelligence? Could we go in, for example, and use IBM's or I think Microsoft has, uh, 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 Microsoft has one as well, um, you know, one of these programs that would actually help us um, do our job? I would say that uh, companies like Oracle and ADP and Microsoft and IBM are all after your business and they're all using uh, different types of artificial intelligence to solve problems. You're probably not uh, at a, you know, a 10 person CPA firm going to go out and write your own artificial intelligence right. software. That's probably not where this is headed. Uh, you're probably going to leverage the strengths of companies that have already done that. Uh, but you're going to be buying services from them that are powered by artificial intelligence. You know, in, for example. So, um, for example, you know, let's take the cash register itself. Um, you know, the cash register is a treasure trove of data about uh, customers, about transactions. Um, if you are in business and you know you are a, uh, a chief financial officer of a company, you probably have a lot of questions being asked you by, uh, you know, the marketing department, by, you know, other people in the organization who need insights from the data. And um, finance is a wonderful opportunity, has a wonderful opportunity to play a bigger, more strategic role in all aspects of the company by analyzing the data in the cash register. You guys on the finance side um, really have the keys to the kingdom. Uh, and, and I say that because um, think about what's in there, and let, let's let's take it down to a very small uh, local business example. Let's say somebody's running a pet store, and um, within that cash register, there are people who came in and purchased uh, dog food. There are people who came in and purchased things like uh, you know uh, services. They they purchased grooming services. Uh, they purchased boarding services. Maybe they left their pet there for the weekend, um, and you have the opportunity to be the, the point person that helps them analyze that data, to look at all of those transactions, to look at the pool of revenue that came into the organization and sort it based on the activities of those customers. So now you can define that this customer buys pet food but doesn't use our boarding service. This person uses our boarding service but doesn't buy our grooming services. That information in turn informs the marketing department's ability to create messages, to deliver advertising campaigns, to persuade those consumers. If you're leaving your pet with us for boarding, you should have us groom your dog while you're away. And when you come back, Fido will be nice and fluffy. Well, those insights can be gleaned from the accounting technology being deployed by that business. And that's going to have a big impact on the future success of that company. So that's just one example where AI in the accounting arena is now bleeding over and influencing other kinds of corporate decisions and, and providing insights at a broader level. So, uh, you know, what comes to my mind is you're giving this example is Amazon, right? You buy this from Amazon, they say, well, then you might like this, or I'm a big, um, you know, at the Apple bookstore, right? I read 
most of my books um, on uh, from get get them from the Apple Bookstore, and it says, "Well, you you might like these books." So that's that's basically what you're talking about, right? Absolutely, and in fact, Amazon uh, has done something quite extraordinary. They have tied the top of the market funnel together with the cash register. So they can do something which most businesses can't do, which is they can see the attribution, they can solve the attribution problem. They can say, I ran this ad and the impact was that this sale occurred. And by uh, you know tracking that over time, they can get better and better and better at making recommendations about delivering uh, you know information to you that will change your behavior. And from the accounting perspective, it was really the accounting structure of that organization that um, you know changed all of that, that gave them the visibility in product uh, delivery that that you know changed the way they look at their business. So uh, you know as an accountant, I encourage you to be thinking broadly about the impact of marketing uh, uh, sorry of artificial intelligence on the rest of your organization because while you might think of yourself, as an accountant, artificial intelligence might equip you to be, you know, a marketer. It might equip you with uh, insights about your business that might really dramatically change how you think about your job. Well, and and, and I love that. See, because that's kind of my whole perspective. That's why I wanted you on the show, Bill, is because when I look at the industry, we can look at it and we look at AI and say, well, wait a minute, if AI is going to do tax returns, if AI is going to do tax planning, which I think it will, um, if, you know, if, uh, if blockchain is going to do audits, which I think it will, then what's left for the CPA? And what I see is um, a lot of small businesses, you know, they're not that sophisticated and they want help. They don't just need help. They want it. And they're dying for it. Um, I was talking to a client the other day um, because we're starting a family office. And I said, well, what do you think about that? And this is a client that I thought there's no way that they would be interested. And they said, there's all those little details that, that we need taken care of. We would love that. And I'm going, well, that's the type of thing that businesses, they, you know, our clients need help in ways that we don't traditionally help them. And that's my point. I actually think that AI frees us up. It not only does it provide the tools, but say the blockchain and, and the AI that does those routine tasks that now we're focused on, now we can stop being focused on those. And now we can do the stuff that's actually valuable to the clients. I mean, an, an audit's not valuable to a client. A, a client does not want an audit. A client does not want a tax return, right? They don't voluntarily ask for those things. They get, they have them done because they have to have them done. Whereas a client wants their profitability improved. And uh, we all know that business is all about the numbers. When it comes down to it, it's all about the numbers. Building wealth, um, investing, business, it's all about the numbers. And we're the ones with, like you say, we have the keys to the kingdom. And I think it's awesome um, to hear your perspective that, look, we can do things. We just need to start thinking differently about what our role is. If, if we start thinking differently, what I'm hearing from you is, Bill, is that we're going to have a whole bunch of tools to be doing stuff with. We just need to be thinking about, okay, if we didn't have to do tax returns, if we didn't have to do audits, if we didn't have to do bookkeeping, what could we be doing for our clients? Does that make sense? So you are sitting on you know, the treasure trove of the business, which is its financial data. And buried within that business's financial data are insights about how that business can be 
run better, how it can be more profitable, how it can be more competitive in the marketplace in ways that you know only someone who has access to that data can un unleash can can you know uncork and you know if you're thinking about your job as you know i'm the guy who types in the uh the dollar figure from the receipts on the uh on the spreadsheet you're you may be thinking about your job wrong uh, because in the long term that is going to get replaced you know right. we're not going to need you to do the data entry from the receipts. We're going to scan them in, the machine's going to recognize the receipts and put that all into a nice, you know, uh, format. So it's it's normalized data. Um, where the insights come in is, you know, at the strategic level, what does this data tell us about the business and, and how can I leverage my access to this data to solidify my job to make myself more valuable to this organization. And those are the things you should be thinking about because the sooner you get your head around what the technology holds, what it, what opportunities, um, you know, lie within it, the better you will be able to uh, take advantage of those opportunities. Uh, that is, I could not possibly have said it as well as you just said it, Bill. So tell us once again, um, your book and, you know, if, if we needed, if we want more information, where would we go? Well, the simplest thing is you say, Alexa, order the invisible brand by <laughs> William Ammerman and it shows up tomorrow. Um, but uh, the book's name, the invisible brand is a reference to all of the technological forces being deployed invisibly through hidden means um, by brands, by corporations, but even by the government, by politicians to influence and change the way you think. So the book really does help people understand kind of the landscape of what's happening. And it's written for the layperson. So uh, if you don't understand artificial intelligence, but you want to, this is the book for you. Um, it is, uh, you know, I, I, I often joked, uh, jokingly said that this was artificial intelligence for dummies. And uh, in truth, you know, it is written so that it makes sense and you can understand how this technology uh, is already at work changing you. If you want, you can um, go to my website, which is my first initial last name. First initial is W for William, last name Ammerman, A-M-M-E-R-M-A-N.com. So whammerman.com. Uh, you can learn more about the book and about me. Awesome. Thank you, Bill. And, you know, I think this has been a really good illustration of what I've been talking about, or, um, you know, in the past that we were in, we're really in danger here in our industry. If we continue to think about our business, the way we've been thinking about it. On the other hand, if we change the way we're thinking about it, if we could get out of all that mundane stuff, which is what I hear from CPAs all the time when I'm talking to them is that how do we get out of the mundane stuff and let's do the fun stuff. That's what everybody wants to do and that's what's valuable to the clients. We end up with better clients, a better practice, and a better life. Thanks. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the WealthAbility for CPA show. Better clients, better practice, better life. To learn more, go to WealthAbility.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.